Hi, I'm Elizabeth Silverstein of Telltale Dog Training and now the podcast, Telltale Dog. Welcome back. You might have seen my interview with Dr. Marlo Ball a few weeks ago, and my intention was always to switch things up with a personal story about who I am as a dog trainer, how I got to where I am, and then also interviews with local experts in the Little Rock area as well. So I've had some technical difficulties in not only doing the podcast, but doing the videos because video format is terribly new to me and I still... I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm trying to work it out. So hopefully I can get on a regular schedule once I figure out the logistics of things. I've been a dog trainer for coming up on three years at this point, and I got my start at a farm in Southern New Jersey with Philly Unleashed. And I'll be sharing more of that story and how I found that opportunity and how I became a dog trainer. But I wanted to rewind it all the way back to this with this first story. Um, I'd always loved animals growing up. I drew horses and dogs when I was much younger. I read books like Misty of Shinkatake and My Friend Flicka and Black Beauty. Love stories like that. I also loved movies like The Man from Snowy River and National Velvet and Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I ate those movies up. I love the idea of just being able to lock eyes with an animal, whether a horse or a dog, and have this instant connection and then go on to do some amazing things together. That just seemed so beautiful to me and really, really cool. I remember when we went to get our dog, Sheba. We had a lot of animals growing up. There was always cats around. Um, we would get rabbits from a really young age. I remember having always rabbits in the hutch outside. Um, as I got older and my siblings got older, then we would get um, guinea pigs a lot of the times. Rats made an appearance um, as well in our house. but. I was 11 when our dog came home. I was so excited to get the dog. The dog was supposed to be for my younger brother. We are 17 months apart and he was about 10. So it was a pretty good age to start taking care of a dog and having to do all, do all those things with a dog. So he was about the right age and we went to a puppy store about 20 minutes from our house. We grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania. There were about eight uh, puppies in this store um, they were just in like this makeshift pen in the back and about six of them were super excited to see us. One was just wandering the pen and then there was another one that caught my eye. She was just laying sprawled right in the middle, kind of spread eagle, just keeping to herself. I didn't know then what I know now about puppy mills. Um, typically puppy stores are supplied by dogs by puppy mills and puppy mills often are inhumane conditions for dogs. They're stacked in crates. If a dog is a breeder, that's pretty much all they do. They don't really know how to live in a home. They often don't know how to drink water properly out of a bowl and they have dental issues as a result because they're typically getting um, water from like guinea pig bottles where they have to lick it and dogs' mouths are, don't work like that. Um, puppies tend to be very sick due to the conditions where they're stacked crates on top of one another. I'm not a super good source for learning more about puppy mills. I do encourage you to read up on it. I will link to some places that I've learned from, you know, some websites and other options um, down below and in the article itself so that you can do some more research on your own, but they are not 
Um, they're very inhumane and they're not regulated. So there's a lot of horrible things that happen in puppy mills and dogs are often rescued from those situations. I mentioned Shiva was supposed to be my brother's dog and being 17 months older than him, I started to exercise some older sibling privilege where I put the pressure on him because I saw that fluffy little dog in the center of this pen with all these other puppies and I wanted that dog. She had different color eyes, so she had one blue eye completely and her other eye was half blue, half brown, and she was fluffy and she had the, the markings of a collie. So at this point, I'd mentioned all the, um, the books and the movies I'd watched, but one that really made an impact on me was Lassie. Lassie was such a cool dog. I loved collies. I wanted that fluffy collie looking dog. It's been a little over 20 years since that day that we went and got our dog. And there's a lot I know now that I didn't know then. I, I would look at behavior a little differently now. One of the things that I'd look for is a medium energy dog instead of super low or super high. A lot of times people get a dog because they think, oh, well, this dog is going to push me to be more active. And it's fine to think that way if you just want to get out of the house and do walks. But if you get a super high energy dog and you yourself are not high energy, you're really going to struggle in that situation. Daily walks are one thing where you have to force yourself to get out of the house, you know, for two, 20 to an hour long walks. That's one thing. But when you have a super high energy dog and you yourself are pretty low to mid, then you're really going to struggle with those hours long needs of a high energy dog, um, whether that's running high intensity, you know, hour long or it's playing ball for hours and hours. That's going to be, that's going to be pretty challenging. So if you get a mid level to lower energy dog, then those things aren't quite as challenging, even though we kind of have this expectation sometimes, oh, this is gonna push me. Our lifestyle habits can be pretty ingrained. Um, so just think about what would be a good fit for you if you are looking for a dog, whether that's a puppy or maybe an older dog. Another thing I would have thought about differently was getting the puppy that was sprawled out in the middle and not really interacting with other dogs, not really interested in people. But she wasn't interacting with us and she wasn't super high energy. And looking at that now, that would have told me as a more experienced dog owner and as a trainer that something was wrong. If Whether that was something physically, because she probably came from a puppy mill situation and, and puppies seem to be very sick out of a puppy mill um, situation, or maybe behaviorally, because she wasn't inter inter interested in interacting with us and this was something that would never really change over her life. Um, time in our family. She was just never really interested in interacting with people. She loved getting pet and brushed, but that was kind of the extent of her interest in interacting with us. Knowing what I know now as a trainer, I would have gone about training her in a much different way. I tried the whole like hold a treat up and say the word and expect the dog just to know what you're saying. So it'd be like sit, sit, sit. Dogs have no frame of reference for what that word means. And now I'll use something like allure or clicker trainers will capture the natural behavior. If a dog automatically sits, that's when you mark and give the reward. I do like the lure to kind of show that motion and then it's able, you're able to turn it into a hand signal. But when you're just holding food and you're just yelling words at your dog, they have no frame of reference for what you want them to do. But that's all I knew. I didn't know how to train a dog. I didn't really know how to interact with her. And that plus her disinterest in interacting with us made it a big challenge to try to train her with anything. She was also really challenging to walk. She was a powerhouse of a dog. That husky um, aspect really came out when we tried to walk her. She dragged us down and ran away more times than I can count. And once you get skin and knees from that happening multiple times, it's not very attractive to try it again. But we tried. We tr 
the most challenging aspect of having Sheba was that our family struggled with food insecurity. There were a lot of us. I had seven brothers and sisters, ultimately. I had six of them when she became along, and then my youngest sister was born a year, year or two later, um, and my father had lost his job when I was still pretty young. Um, so we didn't have a lot of resources, and we often didn't have a lot of food for ourselves. But we still had a lot of animals, which was probably not a very good uh, choice on my parents' part. And I still struggle with thinking about how I wasn't able to provide a better life for Sheba when I was very, very young myself at 11. Um, and I still think about that. I still think about the ways that I failed her and how I didn't try hard enough and I didn't try harder to make sure she got what she needed. Reality was that along with the neglect, my own childhood was very traumatizing and abusive. And the other element of that growing up was that animals died pretty mysteriously. I think three cats when I was a kid died of antifreeze poisoning. There was one skeleton of a cat I found alongside our house after winter. And when I mentioned it to my father, he said, oh, I must have drank antifreeze, whoops. If you're interested in learning more about my experience in my family and my siblings and my father. I am writing on an Instagram account called Emblem of Our House, and I'll link to that below as well. But that shares the story of some of my childhood and my experience with my father and how it inter intersects with the death of my sister, Margaret. She passed away in April 2018, and it's all connected. Um, and it's hard to kind of draw the parallels because this is this is a podcast and this is an article and this is a YouTube video about becoming a dog trainer. And I'm kind of veering into some very personal things here because it is connected and there are some parallels between it, but I'm not gonna talk very much about my family. Um, one thing that I'm very careful on is sharing stories uh, of other people because those are their stories. But what I can share is where the stories are mine and where it's appropriate to share that intersection. So with my sister's death, that's an intersection with my story that was very traumatizing and very difficult. And the way my father behaved after my sister's death shared, told us a lot about him and who he was as a person. And that's what I'm sharing on that Instagram account because it is important to share. And I, I want to share the parts that are necessary to expose because Margaret went through some things that she never should have, and Sheba went through some things that she never should have. And I deal with a lot of the guilt of that, of just processing that, of where I felt like, well, what should I have done differently? Or, you know, what could have I have changed? And the reality is when you're a child, you have no power and you have no resources. And as a dog, you certainly don't have any power or resources. And you're super reliant on other people to take care of you. And when they fail, there are repercussions of that behavior. But yes, Album of Our House has more information on my sister's death and some of my family's story. But what I won't share are the stories that belong to my siblings. When they're ready, they will share those stories and I will not be answering any questions about that. But where it is my own and where I feel like it's appropriate to share, I will. Um, but there were some challenges growing up. There were a lot of difficult things to process and there were a lot of difficult things to deal with. And it took many years before I could start to have resources of my own.
So there's a lot to delve into with this, but um, animal abuse is very closely connected to human abuse. And that's why there's more uh, federal laws coming into play, felonies that are happening, because you can't respect life and treat it poorly. And we often see signs of animal abuse leading to human abuse. It's never okay to hurt an animal. And that's where I do want to say I never hurt Sheba. I didn't hit her or any of, or anything like that. But I don't know if that's true for my father because he definitely hit us as kids pretty, um, pretty severely. But with me with Sheba, I would just spend less time with her. If she was going to um, not want to interact or not be super interested in training, even though I was poorly training her, I was just like, all right, we just won't do that. And I started to withdraw from my time spent with her. That was challenging because I was taking on the guilt, especially looking back, I was taking on the guilt of Sheba's life and she was my father's responsibility ultimately. Even though he got her for my brother, even though I tried to spend a lot of time walking her and feeding her, she ultimately was my father's responsibility and he treated her very poorly. When my parents got a divorce, I was in college, I was out in California, and my mother took the three youngest children and my father kept the three middle, and he kept the house and he kept Sheba. And then he promptly abandoned everybody. He left the house, he left the kids, he left Sheba. Sheba was a really resourceful dog and she remained alive for a long time um, because she was a really good hunter. She could hunt and kill things and she did, and it's what kept her alive. She ultimately lived for 13 years. I don't know how long she was alone in the house with my siblings who were teenagers at that time, but eventually my father went back, probably when she was about 10 or so, I guess, and rescued her, his words, but you can't rescue a dog in a situation that you established. Um, you merely decided to finally accept responsibility for a creature that was your responsibility all along. Over the past, 15 years or so, I've thought a lot about Sheba. I thought for a long time, because I didn't have the resources to take care of Sheba, that I wasn't good at taking care of animals or that I wasn't able to take care of animals. Because I didn't know how to train Sheba, because she proved difficult to train, even with my lack of knowledge, that I wasn't any good at training dogs. And by the time I brought Jeeves home, I really wanted to take care of something. I wanted to take care of an animal. I wanted to take care of a pet but I was scared because of everything I had experienced with Sheba and in my home, I didn't think I could. The difference was this time was that I was an adult and I had the resources now. I researched everything, I got books, I went on websites, I made sure I had everything to take care of my dog. Even before he came home, I was researching the breed, I was making sure I had everything I needed to make a good life for him. I was gonna make sure he had food even if I didn't. I was gonna make sure he had all the training and because I didn't know what I was doing, we enrolled in classes. I was determined with everything I experienced as a child and everything that Sheba went through to honor her memory and that experience the best that I could. Sometimes I, I do wish, I wish that I could try all of that again. With everything I know now and who I am now, I wish I could try everything again with Sheba. I wish I could give her a better life, one that she deserved that she didn't get with my family. I wish I had been able to try some different techniques of walking her, to try different techniques of training her, instead of just you know holding up the treat and expecting her to know what I was asking of her. When I became a dog trainer, using fear-free techniques and communication styles was super important to me, learning as many ways as possible to help people interact with, spend time with, and love on their dogs while establishing that uh, much-needed communication boundaries and behaviors. Every new dog I meet, 
whether in a private lesson or in class or in a shelter where I volunteer, is a chance for me to try again, to try differently, to try different training techniques, to try different communication styles, to work with them on what they need and what they're trying to tell us instead of what I'm just projecting onto that dog. It's a chance to try from the beginning, to try different things, to utilize the resources I have now that I didn't have then. This has been Telltale Dog. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein of Telltale Dog Training in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thank you for listening to my story. Join me every week for interviews with other local experts and dog people. More of my personal stories as I share my journey of not only becoming a dog trainer, but the dogs in my life that I've experienced and my growth as a trainer, why I started my own business, all of that I'm going to touch on in the upcoming podcast. I'm excited to share that with you. Thanks for listening, watching, all of the above. Check out my website at telltaledogtraining.com and be sure to subscribe. Thank you.